0: Welcome to the Servants of Fire podcast, where we dive into real-life application of the prophetic, evangelism, pastoring, healing, and so much more. We'll have special guests and your host, Alvin Kaufman.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you'd like to connect more, find us on Facebook in the Servants of Fire podcast group. After this episode is done, it would be great if you could share this with your friends and give us a rating on iTunes. Chris and I go over some testimony of his personal story and I ask him some questions related to ministry, leadership, vulnerability, and dealing with emotions as a man. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. We'll see you next time. Thanks for uh, joining me, Chris. No problem. Great to be with you today. Yeah. So Chris, if you want to maybe tell us who you are, where you're from, and uh, just so the listeners kind of get an idea who you are.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, currently I'm a lead pastor in uh, BC at a church called Sunrise Church. Um, I was born in Winnipeg, actually, uh, and then uh, spent a number of years in Regina. I was an associate pastor at Regina Apostolic Church uh, with Rick Parkin for a number of years before I uh, took this role out here to be lead pastor. So I live in BC now with my wife, Sherry, an amazing uh, woman of God, uh, known as the Lady Rev out here. (laughs) And I got three kids, uh, a 14-year-old who's in grade 9, uh, a two-year-old and uh, this time a ten-week-old. So that's a little bit of uh, who I am.
1: I guess uh, maybe if you want to just give a little couple minutes of uh, your personal testimony, kind of
0: how you came to be where you're at, Chris. And uh... sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Well, I was um, my family. I was raised in <clears throat> was a uh, was a family where my dad was a traditional or a nominal um, Christian in 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 a circle of churches that that didn't necessarily value being born again or being spirit-filled. However, my mom was a believer who was born again and filled with the Spirit. So there was there was a tension growing up between you know, the things of what Dad would desire and the things of what Mom would desire. Uh, and uh, when I was about around twelve years old, ten or twelve years old, uh, my dad basically stopped going to church. And uh, even though we had gone to church at that time, uh, he said, "Hey, I'm kind of out." So he gave you know my mom gave him a couple weeks and said, "Hey, if you're not gonna," Uh, take these kids to church, I'm leading them to church, and this is what we're going to do. So that started my journey of faith um, uh, in discovering it for myself. Um, my mom led me to Jesus um, when I was about five years old, and uh, Jesus saved me through, you know, the, the the prayer you pray as a kid. But then you learn to follow him, right? <laughs> so you start with this commitment, uh, you know, side of the bed, on your knees, uh, learning what your parents teach you, uh, and then you learn to follow. So in those kind of youth years, I I really learned – about following Jesus, had uh, lots of encounters with God through youth group, uh, Kettleston Camp. Shout out to Kettleston Camp. Uh, I experienced uh, many powerful touches of the Holy Spirit there and, uh, and really a formative life experiences that set me on the path. Now, it wasn't all perfect, right? Uh, my, my mom being the born-again Christian, my dad being a nominal Christian, but also struggling with alcohol and addictions, it made a real contrast of home where the things that we were celebrating in our faith were never celebrated by my father. It was maybe more detrimental to my relationship with him that we were following Jesus so strongly. Uh, And then even in the teenage years, you know, you kind of go cold between the highs of youth group things and retreats and camps to the valley of like living it out. So, you know, I got a little bit um, uh, cold in my faith, Uh, preferred skateboarding with the boys over youth group. Uh, But God continued to get a hold of me continued to grab my heart and actually used skateboarding one day to call me to himself for ministry. And I'll share that story quickly. But um, I was on my way to Kittleston camp for a summer uh, working as a CIT. Long story short, we broke down on the side of the road back in like 1992. And I decided I would ride my skateboard down this crazy, uh, um, ratty Saskatchewan paved road uh, down this little valley and as I'm going down, I'm about to bail out of my skateboard. I got speed wobbles, and I say, "God, uh, you know, if you save me from this, uh, I'm just surrendering my life to you." Well, little did I know that prayer was the prayer that would activate uh, His calling and my response to it. That summer, where He said, "I have you. I'm calling you to ministry," and um, and that's really where I experienced it. So, you know, that's the first formative years and the teenage years, um, and uh, and so between then and now there's been a lot of years because i'm you know currently 42 father of three uh, but that was really the formative years of understanding what it was to follow god and to learn what does it mean to have him as my lord it's one thing to pray a prayer and be you know quote unquote saved it's another thing to have uh this jesus as your lord those are two radically different things and that was really what i think the lord taught me in my teenage years was what does it mean for him to be lord and um not just a savior yeah and from there um uh, of course, life continues on. Um, I was involved quite a lot in a Street Invaders program over the summers uh, being discipled through the leadership of Sherry McConnell, Larry Moore, Wendell Quincy, um, uh, Brian Cooper, all the good things that you get through doing mission and evangelism together uh, in, and encountering the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, uh, it was probably uh, some of the most formative moments those summers doing Street Invaders really set me on my course for actually doing international mission work um, which after Street Invaders took me to places like Hong Kong when I was 17 to do some international mission work, traveled to the UK after high school to work with a, a team of people there, work with a team and uh, do teamwork there, uh, and really dynamic things. But, you know, the the story that I have is, <clears throat> is not is certainly not all good, uh, and I'm an optimist, so I can always spin it well, but uh, it was through Street Invaders that I met my, my first wife, Jada, and uh, we were married for almost seven years. And uh, my oldest son, Ezekiel, is from that marriage. And uh, But the challenges we faced is, as I entered into my ministry in a vocational way, um, that's when um, she was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And so this is like a huge piece of the journey, like a huge valley, if you will. Um, because uh, walking through cancer, uh, it's a devastating thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only was it cancer, but uh, she ended up passing away of cancer uh, after almost three years of that battle. So um, uh, for me, having lots of cool mountaintops and valley experiences, here's one of the biggest things. I feel like I'm pursuing my calling to be in vocational ministry, and bam, right out of the gate when I start. I think I had a year part-time, and then I started full-time. Bam, all of a sudden, you know, cancer and brain cancer, like really rare brain cancer, not, not just something that – run-of-the-mill cancers if there is but I mean really intense and obscure brain cancer so here begins the journey of of the deep valley you know as some have described it the dark night of the soul uh, and how do you walk through that so I mean
1: let me try and get my emotions here too Um, yeah but yeah Chris I, I think a lot of times people have the idea that Christianity we don't have suffering or we don't relate suffering with some of the messages that we hear on TV now. And that's totally not the case, but I mean, as a man and kind of even reflecting on my story, I know I've experienced suffering and pain and I've coped with it in very negative ways, whether it be alcohol, pornography, or mm. things where you don't want to deal with the pain in your heart. And especially as a man, sometimes maybe that's hard for men to admit. So mm-hmm especially going into ministry and in your stage, how did you deal with that pain in your heart and Mm. kind of the process through that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. Um, there's never a shortcut to godly character. Uh, godly character is always tested in the fire and the furnace. And, um, if I could say one thing about that time, uh, during the time of her sickness, my character, um, felt like it was getting riddled, not by other people, but by my own ambition uh, to be in ministry and to try to still function as a high level dad and a husband and a caregiver and a pastor. Um, So kind of my own ambition uh, was the thing that probably assassinated my character more than anything and left me, left me tattered after she passed away um, uh, in my character because I had done things like uh, try to do too much in ministry Uh, try to be um, a caregiver where God hadn't wired me totally in that nurturing way, even though I learned it. Um, So what I found is if you think of the analogy of a sponge, um, I felt like when I was in uh, the crucible of her death and uh, the last months of it, I felt like the sponge was getting squished and the real test of character was there. And I I remember coming out of that season um, and almost like the pendulum swung the other way. And it's like I became like I became like young again in my character. It's like I, I didn't have the same care for the holiness of God. I, like I didn't like walk away from God, but I just didn't have the same desire for the stuff because I hadn't been paying attention to the character issues that the Lord was trying to get me to pay attention to. Um, and, and and like you talk about, there's things like it could be alcohol, drugs, gambling, uh, pornography, even even you know emotional. Uh, emotional neglect that causes you to go to other people emotionally, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, if you you picture your life like a dashboard, there's lots of indicators that we got to watch for. And, um, you know, my biggest one that I didn't watch for is how was I actually emotionally doing in this? Did I actually have outlets that were healthy? So that not only could I go to Jesus, which is so primary, always primary, but do I have some people who represent Jesus with skin on right there, who I can talk to um, and, and I guess my heart grew cold to that, Elvin. if I'm really honest. It grew cold because, um, you know, when, when your story is fresh of someone with cancer or someone dying, uh, lots of people want to care. But when your story of cancer is three years old and the next story has hit the news circuit in the church, you, you become kind of like this, this second story, right? No one pays attention. So then my heart kind of grew cold to people. So as I saw my character just kind of uh, being tattered, It was a real wake-up call. And I think I really noticed it through friends. And a couple of my friends, right after Jada passed away, um, they said things to me like, hmm, this doesn't seem like Chris. This is not who you are. Um, And that was a real wake-up call to me because I had just... my my maturity had taken a shot and just because i had not paid attention to the areas jesus needed me to pay attention to and it was it was my own self that did it it wasn't externalized it was not anyone else but um so so dealing with the loss and suffering i had to come to terms with a couple things um uh, lord what's your role in this loss and suffering like wh- how how do you interact with cancer lord and and i fully believe in divine healing like i believe he's the great physician Um, I I don't think there's one person now that I haven't laid hands on to see them healed of cancer. Um, But what I really came to Elvin, and I sometimes wrap my theological convictions into neat little words and boxes, but um, uh, I realized this, that while the Lord is not the author of sickness, there's times that he allows it in his sovereignty. And and do we desire his will? Yes, we do. Is his will to heal? Yes. But there's times when he allows sickness um, and, and it comes into someone's life. But he doesn't author it. He doesn't send it. You know, it's part of the fall. It's part of the plan of the enemy. Uh, but he leaves some sort of author or allowance for that because, you know, if if he doesn't, if God's not sovereign in this world, then, uh, you know, is the enemy in control? Is the enemy the one? And I don't believe that because I really believe, you know, as Colossians says, he triumphed over him on the cross, mm-hmm. making a public spectacle. So I believe that the enemy has no authority in that. Um, it's only the authority we grant him or give him. Um, but I had to come to terms with that. Lord, did you author this? No, no, you didn't author cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you didn't author that, but do you allow it? Yeah, you allowed it. And, and in, in, in my life, what did it do? Well, I said, you know, there's no shortcut to character. It's only produced through the furnace and the fire. Um, there's something that God did in my heart through that furnace and the fire that cannot be replicated by any other experience, uh, cannot be replicated in anyone else's life until you walk through the fire. And as I look through biblical characters, um, Moses, he walked through it. He walked through the test, right? Uh, he walked through the personal test. He walked through the test in front of a nation. And he came out as a strong leader. In the end, he, he failed. but uh, He failed because of disobedience. But every leader biblically walks through a test. Paul the same way. Even after Jesus appeared to him, he ends up in the desert. He ends up in Tarsus. He ends up uh, getting walked through these hard times in order to come out with um, some sort of ministry that is refined by the crucible of fire and the furnace. Um, so I guess I would say this is in suffering, you've got to pay attention to the dashboard of life. You know mm-hmm. just just one element. one element is faith and intimacy with Jesus for sure. Mm-hmm. But if you're not if you're not watching for those tendencies or propensities to find emotional filling uh, in pornography or alcohol or whatever it is, like, uh, yeah, you will slip into that stuff. And for men, I guess, you know, sometimes we get sold the idea, just, you know, be strong, just push through, uh, don't cry. You know, these messages, you know, all these things, testosterone filled. Uh, that's not the way, like, mm. uh, and I, I look at Jesus, I look, Jesus showed the whole gamut of emotions. Mm. He, he, was, he was indignant with the whip in the temple. Uh, he wept over Jerusalem. He wept over John the Baptist. He, he, he wept over Lazarus. There, there was grief in his life, mm. Right. Uh, he knew the betrayal of friends, so that you see the whole emotional gamut. So, um, to kind of be a set it and forget it Christian, where it's just all hype and all emotion, no, no. God wants us to to um, uh, walk the road of emotion uh, through what He has for us, and I, I'm con- I am really convinced of this that the, the whole trajectory of Scripture is always upward you know, uh, and Paul says, you know, um, the hope to which we've been called, uh, we know that one day we're going to meet the Lord face to face, new heavens and new earth. We know we deal with um, sanctification and sin here. And Jesus has made a way for that. But I believe the whole trajectory is upward in, in scripture, calling us up to this eventual place of meeting Jesus face to face. So when I look at all of the valley that I walked through, I go, Lord, I can see now perspective. Now this is like 12 years ago when she passed away, I can see how the Lord kept pulling me through all that and making me stronger. Um, Even when I was weak, even when I made poor choices, even when I went to substitutes and idols and all those things, um, I had to pay attention to that dashboard and watch for those things because they can become so subtle, you know, Um, so subtle when you're walking through hard times or suffering. Mm.
1: That's good. That's really good here. I'm eating this all up. So, um, Mm. I guess we'll kind of change gears a little bit here, but I I, I think I kind of reflect on this and kinda of know a little bit of your background and what you've told us too, but you're not like the traditional go to college, go to university, get your bachelor's in theology and get into ministry. But no. you've kind of been brought along with leaders in your life. So can you maybe go into that aspect? Because one thing that I really admire about your church so do you want to just maybe talk about how you were raised up to be the leader you are today through mm-hmm. people that kind of went through the, the war with you there?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say in any leader's development, um, uh, there's there's three kind of key pieces that, that you would have. Um, now, everyone's got a different system, but I would say three key pieces of a leader are uh, what I would call uh, informal learning, uh, then formal learning, uh, and then mentorship. And I, I benefited from a large deal of mentorship in my younger years. Uh, you know, my spiritual father, Brian Fuller, um, who was a spiritual father, was, you know, a Merv Switzer. Uh, pastor Rick comes into my life. Uh, Dave Cox, as a, as a youth pastor, came into my life. So I had all these great relationships that were pouring into me and raising me up. Um, and what they were doing, um, as I like to reflect, they were calling they were calling out the gift in me, but at the same time, they were caring for the heart. And I think there always has to be that balance, calling out the gift in someone and caring for the heart. So mentorship played a big role, whether it was like on a piece of paper, we're meeting every two weeks, we're working through this book, how is this scenarios in your life, or informal style of mentoring. So that was huge for me because uh, like, I, I came out of high school and did what was called Life Force at that time, which was a traveling ministry. Imagine like, you know, street invaders for 10 months. Uh, it was awesome. Um, we trained actually our first year. We were in uh, Eston Bible College doing kind of mini semesters training. It was fantastic. Uh, and after that, I took some time away from ministry as as our family was deteriorating at that time. And my dad left the home um, because of alcoholism and other related problems. Um, and so I was kind of like, now, now what do I do, Lord? Well, I kept serving, um, a little step back, but I kept serving in the church and, and started to do some of my more formal education. But I didn't go like four-year degree right into it. I just kept making myself available to the call, uh, whatever was happening. So uh, I know now uh, everyone can specialize in whatever career they want, um, whether it's, you know, dental hygienist or, you know, you want to study to be a theologian, or whatever. You can specialize. I just kept making myself available. And through that, the Lord did not— uh, Uh, Delay on his promise that he gave me when he was 16 that he was going to call me into ministry and I would see it happen So mentoring was a huge piece and then informal learning which informal learning I would describe as it's not institutional learning Um, It's maybe learning through conferences uh, reading books podcasts videos Um, It's stuff that you dig into informal learning was huge in me Um, But some of it was based actually in my fear to do formal learning because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to measure up enough to do formal learning. So while I had done some Bible college in Regina and some university in Regina, uh, working towards a degree, I was also doing some informal learning, and I found that very beneficial. And so I would always say, if you, you got to get mentors in your life, you got to get informal learning. We should be reading and digging into stuff. And then the whole area of formal learning, um, I started. Uh, uh, a program uh, a number of years ago called arrow leadership which is a international leadership uh, school uh interdenominational and uh and they were really a, a heavy asset in my life and learning because it formalized some of the stuff it was you know, about 21 months of leadership um uh journey that i went on that led me into doing a master's degree and and um to neglect formal learning i think you end up like with a stool with one short leg and i say this to people uh um, one of the most intimidating things I've ever done was writing a paper for J.I. Packer. Okay. <laughs> J.I. Packer, he is like the elder statesman of evangelicalism. He is the senior saint. He's he's written more books than I'll ever read. <laughs> and I've got to write a paper for J.I. Packer. And then and then after this, Alvin, um, I, I said I wasn't happy with my mark. I submitted it to the TA. He calls me on the phone one day to talk about this. And I'm like. I'm talking to Jay Packer. I've got a little bit of like idolization going on. <laughs> but I mean, the, the, the pressure of formal learning, whether it's like a one-year certificate or, you know, a three-year or four-year, that will form you in a way that no informal learning can and no mentor can um, because you, you have to uh, um, uh, commit to a standard. And so I think those three things, mentorship, um, uh, informal learning, and formal learning are all essential in the life of a disciple, especially in the life of a leader. Now, if people want to be a leader and they don't have someone coaching or mentoring them, uh, my question to them would be, how are you a leader if someone's not coaching or mentoring you? Because there's always someone ahead of you, you know. Um, and even in my life, like I sit with a, a, a peer group and we have a, a facilitator who's a mentor monthly on Skype. Uh, it's called Leading Edge. It's a lead pastors group. And I, I get input from peers, but also from the guy who mentors all of us who's been in ministry for uh, longer than I've been alive. Uh, so I have that in my life and then I actively seek it out. So, um, and so, you know, I, I just give a shout out also to Dave Wicks, who is a great mentor of mine, uh, through the arrow program, uh, loved Sherry and I and served Sherry and I as a mentor. Uh, so that's a big piece. And then informal learning, right? Like you don't have to go far to find a great podcast. Servants of fire. Come on right here. Get some, (laughs) get some, get some (laughs) informal learning. Right. At, and then challenge yourself to some formal education. I think leaders really are, are lifetime learners. They should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in, in my future, uh, what will I do for continuing education? Yeah, will I pursue some, uh, a doctorate of ministry? Yeah, I'll probably pursue a doctorate of ministry. Will I pursue another master's degree? Yeah, probably. Uh, not because I think formal education is everything. I think it's a part of it. Uh, and so uh, I didn't walk that traditional road. And um, and uh, But I definitely have a passion to see young leaders developed and raising up. And, and like I said, calling uh, out the gift, but caring for the heart, that's so huge. So that's a little bit of my journey in, in leaders and developing them.
1: Oh, that's good. I really appreciate all that answers. Um, I guess, Chris, you've been somebody that has, uh, the times that I've interacted with you, you've always been very um, prophetic-like, and you've always just taken me aside, and, you've, um, and I've heard it from other people too. You know, you just, you get the word of the Lord for them, and, and then you, you care for them as a brother, and you um you really love on people that way so tell me kind of how the journey you came from hearing the voice of god for others and mm. where did you learn to value that
0: mm. well let me just say it's so encouraging to hear you say that because uh i i would not always consider myself prophetic um but it's nice to know that the lord has used me in that mm-hmm. um uh can i say that if there's one key uh to anything that the lord is going to speak through you Uh, the key is this staying close to Jesus Hmm. because when we get far from him, we start behaving in our own, we get into our own craziness. We get into projection rather than prophecy. Like, Oh, it's a good idea. And if it's going to be prophetic, it's going to be prophetic and it's going to, it's going to happen. We're going to see the fruit of that in, in the person's life. So, uh, staying close to Jesus is, is number one. So that's like a lifestyle of intimacy. Um, and um and i have not i have been far from perfect on staying close to jesus um but when when we realize we're not as close as we should be uh we can easily repent and come back to him and he's so faithful he's so faithful he's just waiting there right so um i would say staying close to jesus totally a number one thing uh what what i find interestingly about about prophetic is um uh every time i'm currently now at sunrise every time i'm out of my environment I feel about 10 times more prophetic. <laughs> so like, you know, when I go, go speak at a cap or something, it's just like, whoa, I feel like this download. Right. Uh, and, and it's just funny how that happens because uh, my role here as a lead pastor, um, it's apostolic and it's pastoral and it's prophetic. Uh, it's kind of almost, you're all fivefold mixed into one a bit. But when you have the interact, a chance to interact with others, sometimes God highlights another gift that he wants to draw out in you. And so um, staying close to Jesus, I would always say this too, is, um, uh uh learning to hear the voice of god is is um is like a baby step thing right and I, I can i actually can recall the very first um prophetic um word of knowledge type of thing i gave to someone and uh you know the, the in the old school pentecostal it was always like thus saith the lord this is the word of the lord um, and i was like um i kind of think god might be maybe Maybe he's talking to you about this. Right. And so uh, you learn to hear his voice step by step. And it's not like you get a download right off the top. But um, uh, the other thing I'd say that's key is not only being close to Jesus uh, and knowing his word, uh, but it's being close to people who are prophetic. And if you think of the story of King Saul, uh, King Saul finds himself in the company of the prophets and he starts prophesying. Right. Yeah. And they go, oh, is Saul among the prophets? Well, no, Saul was not a prophet. Uh, he, uh, he was the first king. There always there was an office for the prophet. He wasn't supposed to do that. There was an office for the priest. He wasn't supposed to do that. But something happened when he got in the company of prophetic people. Um, and so I would also say, in, in, in prophetic, put yourself in the company of prophetic people. And if you look in, in our fellowship, so let me just speak to our tribe, ACOP, um, get with people like Ken Parker. Get with people like Rick Parkin. Get with people like mm-hmm. Elsie Welsh. Like those three people, they all prophesy. And there's more people, but these are the ones I've interacted with. They prophesy, and and they, they read people's mail, right? Like it just <laughs> happens. And so when you're with them, a little bit of their spirit rubs off on you, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're, number one, close to Jesus, you know his word. And second of all, uh, you're with people who are functioning in that there's something that rubs off on you. So if there's been any credit in my life to speaking the word of the Lord over people— um, it's because um, God has used me and I'm humbled by it. Uh, but because I spent time, just like Jesus did, with the Father, he routinely mm-hmm. departed uh, to do that, um, to be with the Father. And sometimes, you know, it's um, uh, you, you have a word or you get a picture. Sometimes you just know in obedience you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so let me tell you this one story. Uh, as I was learning the voice of God, it seemed his voice kept getting quieter and quieter, and my faith had to be more and more so that I would actually step into it. Uh, So, one time I'm in a meeting at a church, I think it's from Regina, and and the Lord tells me to give a prophetic word. The Lord tells me to tell the congregation I have prophetic words for people. And I was like, okay, Lord. And I'm kind of, you know, you're doing the mental argument. Like, well, Lord, what are those words? And he basically says to me, he says, tell the congregation you have the words and then walk down the steps. And when you hit the ground, I'll tell you the words. I'm like, what? (laughs) So, I'm supposed to say I've got prophetic words for people, but you're not going to tell me. And I'm like, okay. I get it, God. You're calling me out in faith. You're calling me out to step out in faith. And and um, I had to act. He prompted me. I had to act. And the spiritual gifts, especially like prophecy, mm-hmm. they're not active in my life unless I'm willing to respond and I'm willing to act. They won't be activated unless mm-hmm. I act. Wow. And so, you know, sure enough, I in fear and trembling say I've got some prophetic words for people here. And this isn't a corporate service. This isn't just like a small group. This is a corporate service. And, and I walked down those steps, and sure enough, boom, I hit those steps. Three people just highlight, boom, 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 and and prophesied over them. And uh, super scary, um, but also I had good, good guardrails because I had good mentorship in my life, back to the mm-hmm. whole leadership development. Uh, if you don't have people who can walk with you in that and tell you when you're off, Um, (laughs) that, that's not a good thing because I think any prophetic person can go off if we go on our own and we don't have anyone to input in our life. We don't have anyone to, to speak life into us and speak correction into us. So, um, yeah, that's a kind of the funny way prophetic works, but, uh, yeah.
1: Hmm. Oh, that's all good. Uh, yeah. I, maybe I was there. I probably thought, oh man, Chris is such a man of God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just no, it's, it's meager. It's just, it's really the I think the key is this is like you know not only being close to Jesus, but as I said with leadership, it's like making yourself available to the call and the opportunity. It's like if I'm available to hear from the Lord for people, I'm convinced that he will speak. Am I just shutting off my own mind and my own mouth enough to hear him? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find he does it. And you know as a lead pastor, one of the calls, Uh, that I've just kind of wrote up even on my my board here, is that one of the things that I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to steward the Spirit here. And I'm supposed to steward the move of God in our church. Um, And that's one thing I can't give away to anyone. I, I can't give it away to any other elder or staff member because I'm called to be the lead. I'm called to be at the point, not because I'm better, but that's what that's what God's asked me to do. So I'm called to steward the spirit in our church. Um, and uh, and if it goes haywire, <laughs> you know, uh, then am I? I don't think I'm steering it well. So I'm called to steward the spirit, steward the move of God, uh, guard the altar, and uh, just watch the Lord uh, do what He wants to do. Mm.
1: No, that's good. Well, we can leave it there, Chris. I know you got to go, so.
0: Hey, this is awesome. Thanks uh, for taking the time, and I hope this has been of value. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to reach out to me, you can, uh, you can find me on Facebook and uh, social media, um, and we could uh, have more conversation if that's worthwhile. So thanks for the time. Sure. Thank you. All
1: right.